The flight deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I am your host, Sean Mobley. This episode is part of a museum-wide initiative commemorating the 75th anniversary of VE Day and VJ Day this year. Today, we are hearing a story from one of our docents, Reiner Descher, who was a very young boy in Germany during World War II. His father worked for the Junkers Aircraft and Motor Works and was developing cutting-edge aviation technology. So cutting-edge that as the war entered its final days, and both the Russians and the United States were snapping up German scientists and engineers, the Descher family was wooed by both governments. Reiner shares his experience seeing the end of the war through the eyes of a German child, and how his family's attempts to leave Germany as part of Operation Paperclip was foiled by a horrible accident. I was born in 1939. I was born, in fact, uh, seven days or nine days before the first jet airplane flew. (laughs) So I'm as old as the jet age. So you can imagine 1944, I was five years old. And uh, the situation in Dessau in Germany, uh, where we were living, had gotten pretty bad in the sense of the Allied strategic bombing that was taking place, that uh, my father, as well as some of the other engineers that were working on the Junkers engine, decided to move all the families out into the woods, basically. And so we ended up uh, living in a really small village in, in the Hartz Mountains, where the threat of bombing was much, much reduced. And so we missed some of that war. My father bicycled the 60 kilometers or so to visit us every now and then. So for those who might not be familiar with Junkers, can you share a little bit about the company? Yes, I can. Uh, Junkers, Hugo Junkers, an aviation pioneer, I think he uh, really qualifies to be uh, an, an important person in that aviation history. He um, built airplanes during the end of World War One and quickly realized that after World War One, success in aviation was going to be in commercial aviation. His company not only built the airplanes, but they built the engines as well, as well as uh, he created an airline that later became Lufthansa. He had no love for the Nazis, and uh, in fact, they tried very hard to convert all his factories and airplane building capability into the war machine, and he refused. And uh, unfortunately, he also died at age 76, I think he was, uh, in 1934, so that uh, right after that, the Nazis jumped in there and took it over. And there are many airplanes, war airplanes, that bear the Junkers name that he would really be upset to to know have to have been constructed. So as the war was wrapping up and the Allies were closing in on both sides in on Germany, Operation Paperclip started up. Can you give a big picture view of what Operation Paperclip was? Yes. Operation Paperclip consisted of gathering up people from various technologies where the uh, American army or military, I should say broadly, uh, was interested in the technology that might 
they might not have had developed yet. And my father was on that list, uh, as well as were all the uh, the principals at the Junkers Company, as well as the leader of the BMW group uh, in the jet engine side of things. And they were doctors there. They were opticians there. There were physicists of various kinds. And, of course, the rocket people with Werner von Braun. There were like 1,600 names or so. They uh, were basically offered an opportunity to come to the United States. What did your dad do at Junkers to earn him a spot on this list? Father was, uh, he graduated in 1937. And, what was uh, his name? Siegfried, Siegfried Descher. When Junkers got the contract to, to build the jet engine, they assembled the team and he was on that team. He was basically focused on the controls aspect of it. The war is coming to a close and your family, your dad, is selected for Operation Paperclip. Can you describe kind of the immediate aftermath, your family preparing to go and, and trying to get out? before the Russians are starting to sweep in also from yes, the other side. Yes, uh, yeah. The, the uh, family couch, my father was uh, said at one point, had sitting on it American colonels, Russian colonels, as well as French ones, all trying to talk him into either staying there, which turned out he didn't do, uh, but that was an option. The Russians were very keen and understood uh, what the technology uh, was that these people uh, had an, a handle on. Ultimately, my mother would have nothing to do with the Russians because there were lots of refugees coming from the East reporting about what conditions were like from the, on the Russian side, and she wanted nothing to do with that. And so, uh, and besides, our family was in the West anyway, so it was a decision that made itself. It was essentially established that we were going to go back with the uh, with the Americans. Uh, we were given an allotment of 300 pounds of goodies to take with us. And we were loaded with uh, two other families into a big Dodge two-and-a-half-ton truck. Uh, and it was, this was in June, June 21, 1945. And on July 1, the Soviets were going to be occupying the country. So it was time to, to move on. As it turned out... Um, the driver of our truck ended up getting the truck into an accident and flipped it over, badly injuring my younger brother, uh, who needed uh, about four or five months to recover from the injuries. He had a triple skull fracture that uh, really set him back quite a bit. And uh, we were all taken, all 10 people that were in that truck were taken to a local hospital. The truck, by the way, this was a beautiful summer day. The truck didn't have the canvas covering on the top. There was the riding in a convertible, kind of. It was beautiful. Lovely day. How uh, old was he? He was three. Okay. We were transported to this hospital. The American army disguised my mother as a local nurse so that the Russians wouldn't get suspicious. My father and I continued with the convoy to the west. And uh, my mother routinely visited my brother in the hospital and walked by the American um, field headquarters that were there and one day found that the flag was gone and the Americans were gone. And so she said to herself, beep. (laughs) 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 Um, So she's now in Russian territory. And not yet. It was not the yet. Day but bef- they're, they're day on before. Their way. But they're all there. They're they're around. Uh, so she um, went back to the hospital to be with my brother. And uh, and a couple hours later, a doctors uh, running around the hospital trying to look for her, and to tell her that there was an ambulance outside with two paramedics and a stretcher. And she said, "I'm on it." <laughs> and and they left as soon as they could package him. And and she said. While they were driving out, they saw the the new Russian occupation forces coming in, and it was 
She breathed a big sigh of relief. But that delay ended up costing your family the The chance to leave to the U.S. Correct, correct. My brother had to uh, continuously lie on one of his sides, I forget which one, to let the ear drain uh, whatever was going on in his skull. And I'm told that we we ended up on a, in a field hospital in uh, Bad Kissingen in, uh, near Frankfurt where uh, he was apparently lying on a, uh, on a bed next to the window. He could look outside. And I was explaining to him what all the American army vehicles were that were cruising by or parked nearby. It was, I had no idea I knew all that stuff. But <laughs> here I was... <laughs> He was finally uh, discharged from that field hospital. The other people went to uh, a little town called Oberursel, which is the uh, the name of the town where all the uh, rotary engines that were powering uh, World War One airplanes were built. It was a big factory there, and that's where they were assembled. And we never made it to that to that town. The French government had no gas turbine industry whatsoever back in the uh, 1945 time period. They had, a, obviously, a very rich history of, of aviation, and they wanted to uh, get into this new technology very badly. And so they interested a uh, leader of the BMW jet engine effort. BMW was designing a jet engine that was supposed to be a, an advanced version of what uh, Junkers was doing, and that group of people was more or less invited by the French government to go to France. And my father joined that group because he, he no longer could join the American group. We were put into a small town in the middle of France on the Loire River, and uh, that's where I grew up in uh, central France. The time period was a very happy one for my parents because, first of all, it was peacetime and there was food to eat and uh, things were much, much better. And I enjoyed it. Going to went to, to schools in, uh, in France. Initially, the period was, um, was somewhat stressful because the German-French relationship wasn't all that great after, <laughs> after the war, as you, you can imagine. And I had uh, rocks thrown after me uh, in, uh, on my way to school and things like this. But this little village was small enough that the 150 or so German engineers from BMW had a pretty important uh, economic impact on the village. And within a year or so, all of those... Uh, animosities had um, more or less evaporated because people got to know one another and in fact before that uh, whole program was over there were like five or six marriages between French and Germans uh, in, in those two communities. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. You can learn more about the museum's commemoration of the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II, including the grand reopening of our newly refreshed World War II exhibit and an amazing lineup of public programs on our website, museumofflight.org. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from, and share it out with your friends. We appreciate your help spreading the word. You can contact the show at podcast at museumofflight.org. Until next time, this is your host, Sean Mobley, saying to everyone out there on that good earth, we'll see you out there, folks.